Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of Darker Things, Anatomy of a Police Shooting. I'm your host, Scott Jagow. Do note this episode contains intense situations and profanity. Here are two alarming statistics. A recent study by several universities found that black men have a 1 in 1,000 chance of being killed by police in their lifetimes. 1 in 1,000. Another analysis looked at police killings between 2013 and 2019. 99% of those cases resulted in zero criminal charges against the officers involved. Not even charges. The system isn't working. Every time there's another citizen death at the hands of police, there's outrage. There's the cry, we can't take this anymore, it has to stop. And then some time goes by and there's yet another even more disturbing, citizen death at the hands of the police. Right now we're thinking there can't possibly be anything worse than George Floyd's death, can there? There's a feeling of helplessness, being overwhelmed, exasperated. How do we turn this around? I thought it would be helpful to pick one case and just go through all the elements of it, all the facts. What events influenced the outcome? What were the different points where this death could have been prevented? What choices were made? and what aggravated the public's response to it. I chose the shooting death of Philando Castile in 2016 for several reasons. It's a high-profile case with a Facebook Live video made known to the world. Please don't tell me that he's gone. Please, officer, don't tell me that you just did this to him. But there's much more to the story than just the video. Castile was also killed in the same city and state as George Floyd, It was one of the cases that got us directly to where we are now. No justice, no peace. Prosecute the police. No justice, no peace. Prosecute the police. And while the case was in that 1%, charges were filed against the officer, what happened in the courtroom points out why laws need to change in addition to attitudes and behaviors. What is it going to take? I'm mad as hell right now. Yes, I am. Before we get to what happened the night of July 6, 2016, let's meet the two people at the center of this police shooting, the driver, Philando Castile, and the officer, Hieronimo Yanez, and we'll set up the backdrop for their encounter. At the time of his death, Castile was 32. Since he was 19, he'd been working for the St. Paul public school system risen through the ranks to be the cafeteria supervisor at a magnet school. By all accounts, he was ambitious and beloved. The kids looked up to him. He knew all 500 of their names, and he knew every single food allergy any of them had. One co-worker called Castile Mr. Rogers with dreadlocks. Everyone who knew him said he was kind and gentle, including his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds. He never did anything to hurt anyone. He was the quietest, most laid-back person you will ever meet. He was loving. Another thing to note about Castile is he'd been driving for 14 years, and he'd been pulled over, on average, more than three times per year. His final traffic stop, the one in which he died, was his 46th. 46 stops. How does that happen? Well, experts say this is a common problem for people of color in Minnesota and other places. They get caught in a cycle of being pulled over. They get license suspensions and fines, but then they need to go to work, go to the grocery store, and they get pulled over again when a cop flags them 
They get more suspensions and fines, and this just keeps going on and on. Plus, this incident happened in the suburbs. A University of Minnesota professor studied police bias in the area. He found that suburban departments were up to seven times more likely to stop people of color than city cops. And after Castile's shooting, Minnesota Public Radio analyzed traffic citations for five years in St. Anthony. That's the department that pulled over Castile. Reporters Laura Yoon and Reham Fashir found a strongly disproportionate number of citations for African Americans. We took a look at about 650 traffic stops that stemmed from faulty or tinted taillights, headlights, or license plate lights. And what we found showed a huge imbalance on who's getting ticketed as a result of these equipment stops. African Americans made up 44% of those who were cited, whether it was for the broken taillight or for something else that turned up during the stop, like driving without a valid license or insurance. That's a lot higher than the percentage of blacks who live in the three largely white suburbs patrolled by St. Anthony police. Those three cities have an average black population of 7%. And that brings us to the officer who shot Philando Castile, Geronimo Yanez. Yanez is a Mexican-American born and raised in Minnesota. His classmates describe him as driven and a leader. He went to college at Mankato State, and in his own words, he describes what he did before law enforcement. Before I worked with St. Anthony Police Department, I worked for a contract company who worked with Immigration Custom Enforcement, and I worked as a supervision case specialist. I watched over people who were here in the U.S. illegally. Yanez had been with the department about four and a half years when this incident took place. He was 29. Prior to Castile's shooting, Yanez had no formal citizen complaints. In fact, he was praised by many for his work in the community. But there were a couple of red flags. In one traffic stop where a complaint was not filed, a black woman questioned whether Yanez had pulled her over due to racial profiling. He told his fellow officers, she must not have seen the color of my skin. I'm Mexican. That's how he responded to that allegation. Then, eight months before Castile's shooting, Yanez was making a traffic stop when a passing car zoomed by, nearly killing the officer. Yanez abandoned the stop and chased the other car. He noticed the driver reach down onto the floorboards. Maybe he has a gun, Yanez thought. When he pulled him over, Yanez drew his weapon and started screaming at the driver. The officer said he was terrified that for the second time in minutes, he might be killed. The situation ended peacefully, but Yanez was shaken and breathing like this. His fellow officers tried to calm and reassure Yanez, but he kept breathing like this for 13 minutes. Adding to the potential for a stressed-out officer was the fact that Yanez, the entire time he was a police officer, worked the night shift from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And in that time, he'd received 344 hours of training, all kinds of training, some of it controversial in terms of what officers are being taught when they're threatened. But there's also something called de-escalation training, which helps police slow things down, take a step back in tense situations, Give it time. The statistics clearly show that the longer a situation goes on, the more likely it'll be resolved peacefully. But 
Of the 344 hours of training Yanez received, two of those hours were spent on de-escalation training. Now for the events of July 6, 2016. Philando Castile had dinner with his sister. They ate Taco Bell. They talked about the recent police shooting of Alton Sterling in Louisiana. Did you see that Facebook video? Castile asked his sister. No, she says, I refuse to watch another video. Castile leaves to pick up his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds. There's evidence the two smoked marijuana at some point in the day. In the evening, Castile and Reynolds get into his Oldsmobile and go to the grocery store. Reynolds' four-year-old daughter is in the back seat. Now they're on their way home. It's nine o'clock on a warm evening. Officer Yanez is on his night shift. He's made two traffic stops. A few days earlier, he responded to an armed robbery at a convenience store. Now he spots two people who could be his suspects. The driver has a wide set nose like one of them, he thinks. They're driving an Oldsmobile with a broken taillight. Yanez calls for backup from his partner, Joseph Kauser. I'm gonna stop a car. They have reason to pull it over. The two occupants just look like the people that were involved in our robbery. The driver looks more like one of our suspects just because of the wide set nose. When Kauser joins Yanez at 9.04, Yanez turns on his lights. This begins a sequence of events that will only take one minute and 14 seconds. After 12 seconds, Castile pulls over. It takes Yanez 20 seconds to reach Castile's driver's side window. Yanez's partner, Kauser, takes a position at the rear passenger side of the vehicle. There are only 42 seconds left. A dash cam video of what happens next was released after Yanez's trial. It wasn't available at the time of the shooting when Diamond Reynolds did her Facebook video, so you may not have seen or heard this. I'm only going to play it once. It does include the shooting and about 30 seconds afterwards. I think it's important to hear how quickly all of this transpired, but I'm only going to play it once. Then we'll hear a series of clips from three different people describing the events. Prosecutor John Choi, Officer Yanez in an interview the following day, and Diamond Reynolds, the only adult witness. You'll also hear some of her Facebook video. This first part, the actual shooting and aftermath, lasts about a minute 20. It is intense and there's profanity, so if you don't want to hear it, feel free to skip ahead to the sound bites describing what happened. Again, it's about a minute 20 seconds. I'm going to play it now. Yanez is at Castile's window asking for his ID and insurance. Don't pull it off. Don't pull it off. 
July 6, just after 9 p.m., Officer Yanez was on patrol when he noticed a vehicle driven by Philando Castile. Accompanying Philando Castile in the vehicle was Diamond Reynolds, seated in the front passenger seat, and Miss Reynolds' four-year-old daughter seated in a car seat behind her. I see two occupants, what I believed was two occupants inside the car, and I couldn't make out the passenger just knew that they were both African-American and the driver, he appeared to match the physical description of the, one of our suspects from the strong arm robbery. At 9.02 p.m., Officer Yanez ran Castile's license plate number. The results showed that the vehicle was registered to Castile, it was not listed as stolen, and there were no warrants out for his arrest. Two minutes, and 43 seconds later, Officer Yanez activated his squad lights, signaling Castile to pull over. I get out of my squad vehicle and I approach the vehicle as I always do, looking inside, looking for any furtive movements, um, looking to see who's inside the car. And as soon as I get up to the car, I'm hit with a odor of burning marijuana. Okay. And I know it's already been smoked and I've been around as a police officer, I've been around burnt marijuana and uh, fresh marijuana. Okay. So I know the distinct smells between both. Okay. I smell burnt marijuana. And then I see a female child in the back. And then I see a front seat passenger, adult female uh, in the front seat. We got pulled over what allegedly was supposed to be a broken taillight. He asked us, were we aware of it? We said no. He asked for license and registration. My boyfriend carries all his information in a thick wallet in his right side back pocket. Castile then calmly and in a non-threatening manner informed Officer Yanez, sir, I have to tell you that I do have a firearm on me. As he's telling you that, he's reaching down between his right leg, his right thigh area, and the center council. Okay. And he's reaching down, and I believe I'm telling him something along the lines of, don't reach for it, don't do it, referring to the firearm. Yep. And being that the vehicle smelled, the inside of the vehicle smelled like marijuana, um, I didn't know if he was keeping it on him for protection, for from a, a drug dealer or anything like that, or any other people trying to rip him, rip him meaning steal from him, rob him. Um, rob him. Um, and I couldn't see uh, the area where he was reaching his hand down towards. Okay. Castile tried to respond, but was interrupted by Officer Yanez, who said, don't pull it out. Castile responded. I'm not pulling it out. And Reynolds also responded by saying, he's not pulling it out. Then Officer Yanez screamed, don't pull it out, and quickly pulled his own gun with his right hand while he reached inside the driver's side window with his left hand. Officer Yanez pulled his left arm out of the car 
and then fired seven shots in rapid succession into the vehicle. But, 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 don't move, don't move. But how can you not move when you're asking for license and registration? I thought I was gonna die and I was scared because I didn't know what he was gonna do. He just had something in my, his hands and I thought he was reaching for the gun. I thought he had the gun in his hand, in his right hand. I had no other option than to take out my firearm and then I shot. Don't remember the first couple shots. I believe I remember the last two shots and I directed my gunfire down as best as I could, not trying to put the little girl's life at jeopardy or the passenger or my partner because they were in the line of my fire. He had you told him to get his ID, sir, his driver's license. Oh my god, please don't tell me he's dead. Here are some things I'd like to point out about this incident. The people involved all have different mindsets about what's happening. Castile and Reynolds have no idea Yanez is profiling them as suspects. Yanez believes wrongly that these two people probably robbed a convenience store at gunpoint. He also seems to have a trigger about the smell of marijuana. Another observation. Diamond Reynolds is distraught but calm. Officer Yanez is distraught but not calm whatsoever. The time that elapsed between Castile telling Yanez he had a firearm and a license to carry it and Yanez opening fire was five seconds. Yanez's partner never drew his weapon. And there are more issues. I mentioned de-escalation earlier. There's something called the Cooper color code, white, yellow, orange, red, black. Each color represents a different state of awareness. So if you're safe at home, you're in the white zone. When Yanez makes his stop, Sounds like he's where every police officer routinely should be, in the yellow, which is alert but calm. Even if you bump up to the orange and red phases, you're supposed to take defensive actions. Yanez could have stepped away from the window, toward the back of the car, and continued giving commands. This would have also allowed his partner to engage in the situation, and together they could have defused it. In fact, according to police training techniques, Yanez should have never approached the window in the first place because he considered this a felony stop. He thought he was dealing with two people who robbed a convenience store at gunpoint. In felony stops, police are taught to stay back, give commands, tell the driver to throw the keys out the window, put his hands on the dash, etc. This stop went awry right from the beginning, and it's clear Yanez went from yellow straight into orange and red, and then into black. That's a blind state of panic where you have no control. Yanez couldn't even recall the first five shots. He was in the black zone. But it's not clear why he got there so fast on this occasion. Listen to what he said the next day about previous traffic stops where the driver had a gun and a permit. I know from hundreds of traffic stops that I've done, people with concealing carries or that are carrying a firearm, even if it's not on their person, they tell me that they have a firearm in the vehicle or they tell me that they have it on the person, where, is it, where the firearm is located. They keep their hands in view. Some people even take the keys out of ignition, set them on the dash, 
and they keep their hands on top of the steering wheel and they tell me before I even say anything, they tell me, officer, I'm carrying a firearm or I have a firearm in the vehicle. They tell me where it's at and with that, they always tell me that when they're going to reach for something and where their wallet's at or what they're going to do. It's happened 100% of the time. I know that for a fact uh, when people have firearms. And I've been comfortable with that, being on a traffic stop with somebody that has a firearm in the vehicle or on their person. The laws vary from state to state, but in Minnesota, if you're a permitted gun owner, you don't have to tell police you have a firearm unless they ask you. Now, Castile was just being honest and forthright, a good citizen, so in no way should he be questioned for what he did. But I will point out that some African-American firearms instructors tell their students, if you're a black man, you should keep quiet about your gun unless you're asked. Here's Minnesota instructor Lucky Rosenblum the day after the shooting on PBS. What I tell black males, I tell them the opposite. When you're pulled over by the police, I tell them do not volunteer that you have a gun. And the reason I tell them that is because when you say you have a gun as a black man, they hear that at a volume of 10. But when you say I have a permit to carry, they hear that at a volume of one. There's a big difference between a black man with a gun than a white man with a gun. Attorneys for Yanez came out and said, this was not about race. There are a couple of problems with saying this. First of all, it sounds like you're not listening to what the citizens are telling you. You're not hearing them. You're entrenched in blue thinking where you're locking arms with your fellow officers and saying, it's not about race, it's about public safety. It's about protecting our officers. Of course that's important, but it doesn't mean race isn't a factor. And saying so is one of the reasons we're having such a tough time moving forward on this issue. In fact, there's evidence of racial bias in this case. Now you can argue Yanez, he had a clean sheet, no formal complaints. And even anecdotally, he didn't have a track record of racial incidents. A lot of other police officers who've killed citizens, they actually did. But that doesn't mean race wasn't involved. Think about how this traffic stop began. It began with Yanez looking at two people in a car and thinking they looked like his suspects. The problem is that cross-racial identification is notoriously bad. There have been decades of studies that have proven within your own race, you are a much better witness than when you're trying to identify someone of another race. And you tend to create stereotypes for people's faces across race. So there's a bias there. Plus you have that MPR analysis of the St. Anthony Police Department and the disproportionate number of citations going to people of color. Well, guess what? Yanez's statistics fell in line with those percentages. So there are two things right there that have a racial tinge to them. So coming out and saying race was not involved, that's part of the problem. Finally, one of several things that aggravated the public response to this incident was the way Yanez's fellow officers handled Diamond Reynolds. Her boyfriend had just been shot seven times, and with her four-year-old daughter there, Reynolds was handcuffed and treated as a suspect. Get the female passenger out! Hey, man, get the 
car right now with your hands up. Let me see your hands. Exit now. Keep them up. Keep them up. Face Where's my daughter? You got my daughter? Face away from me and walk backwards. Walk backwards towards me. Keep walk walking. Backwards. Keep walking. Keep walking. Get on your knees. Get on your knees. Ma'am, you're just being detained right now until we get this all sorted out, okay? They threw my phone, Facebook. Facebook Live video went viral around the world. That night, thousands gathered at the Minnesota governor's mansion, and in the coming days, there were scenes we've experienced a lot lately. Protests, clashes with police, arrests, and violence. Most of the protests didn't trigger violence, but the day after Castile's shooting, a man in Dallas, Texas, opened fire on police, killing five officers and wounding nine others. Castile's family pleaded for a nonviolent response, while Minnesota's governor, President Barack Obama, and the Castile family attorney weighed in on the issues that needed to be addressed again. Would this have happened if those uh, passengers, the driver and the passenger, were white? I don't think it would have. So I'm forced to confront, and I think all of us in Minnesota are forced to confront, that this, this kind of uh, racism exists. Across our criminal justice system, there are biases, some conscious and unconscious, that have to be rooted out. That's not an attack on law enforcement. That is reflective of the values that the vast majority of law enforcement bring to the job. When, when people say black lives matter, that doesn't mean blue lives don't matter. It just means all lives matter. But right now, the big concern is the fact that the data shows black folks are more vulnerable to these kinds of incidents. This time, ladies and gentlemen, we are telling you, must be the last time. Five months after Castile was killed, Hieronimo Yanez was charged with second-degree manslaughter and two firearms counts. Many people were disappointed with a manslaughter instead of murder charge, but consider this. Yanez was believed to be the first police officer ever charged in an on-duty shooting in the state of Minnesota. And nationwide, the conviction rate in police shooting cases is low. Prosecutor John Choi knew this, but thought this shooting would be different. The totality of the circumstances indicate that Officer Yanez's use of deadly force against Philando Castile during the July 6th stop was not necessary, was objectively unreasonable, and was inconsistent with generally accepted police practices. In addition, under the same circumstances, Officer Yanez's discharge of his firearm seven times into a vehicle in close proximity to and toward Diamond Reynolds and her four-year-old daughter endangered their safety. Yanez went on trial May 31, 2017. 
His interview the day after the shooting was never heard by the jury. The prosecution decided to hold on to it until Yanez took the stand, which he did, but the judge ruled that wasn't fair to Yanez because of the timing of releasing it. There were differences in that interview and Yanez's testimony on the stand, but again, the jury didn't hear that first interview. The biggest issue at trial, though, was the law in Minnesota. The jury was told Yanez could only be found guilty if his act met the standard of culpable negligence. In Minnesota, that's defined as acts that are grossly negligent combined with recklessness. I don't know how that conversation went in the jury room, but it lasted roughly five days after a two-week trial. In the end, the 10 white and two black jurors came back with a verdict of not guilty on all counts for Yanez in the shooting of Philando Castillo. Denny Plussard was one of the few members of the jury who spoke to reporters afterward. All my jurors that I was with for this week felt the same thing I felt, devastated for the family. But it came down where the verdict was, I felt, the right verdict according to what the law states. The jury's decision prompted another wave of protest around the country and frustration and anger from Castile's family and friends. I'm going to play the full comments made by Castile's mother, Valerie, after the verdict. While she's clearly bitter, she's speaking from the heart and her words need to be heard. My son would never jeopardize anyone else's life by trying to pull a gun on an officer and the gun was not fire ready. These are some of the facts that came out in the trial and I am so very, 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 very disappointed in the system here in the state of Minnesota because nowhere in the world do you die from being honest and telling the truth. Now, these are some things that you need to know and recognize. There has always been a systemic problem in the state of Minnesota, and me thinking with my common sense that we would get justice in this case, but nevertheless, it never seems to fail us. The system continues to fail black people, and they will continue to fail you all. Like I said, because this happened with Orlando, when they get done with us, they're coming from you, for you, for you and all your interracial children. Y'all are next. And you'll be standing up here fighting for justice just as well as I am. I am so disappointed in the state of Minnesota. My son loved this state. He had one tattoo on his body, and it was of the Twin Cities, the state of Minnesota with TC on it. My son loved this city, and this city killed my Son, and the murderer gets away. Are you kidding me right now? We're not evolving as a civilization. We're devolving. We have taken steps forward. People have died for us to have these rights. And now we're devolving. We're going back down to 1969. Damn, what is it going to take? I'm mad as hell right now. Yes, I am. My first born one son dad here in Minnesota under the circumstances just because he was a police officer that makes it okay oh now they got free reign he's found innocent on all counts he's shot into a car 
with no regard to human life, and that's okay. Thank you, Minnesota. Thank you, Minnesota. That's all I have to say. aftermath of her son's shooting, she created the Philando Castile Relief Foundation. It helps victims of gun and police violence. She's come out in recent days to talk about the George Floyd case, saying she cried for him just like she cried for her own son. She continues to push for changing use of force guidelines and for police not to respond to nonviolent incidents like traffic stops and $20 counterfeit bills with aggressive tactics. Yanez and the St. Anthony Police Department reached a voluntary settlement for $48,000 that he would no longer be a police officer. Finally, let's not forget about the brave four-year-old girl who was in the back seat that night. While Diamond Reynolds and her daughter were in the squad car after the shooting, this four-year-old girl could be heard telling her mother that she was there for her and that she would keep her safe. It's okay, I'm right here with you. One can only hope the trauma of that night doesn't haunt this child forever, and that when she grows up, tragedies like this one are only a distant memory in our country's history.